So a couple of weeks ago, Paul Woodward started off our new uh, Sunday teaching series uh, on really uh, the Christian understanding of community. In fact, we're going to be doing this every week right up until the summer holidays. Why? Why are we bothering? We're doing this because biblically, community, very clearly, is very important to God. And also, we're doing this because... Because community can mean all sorts of different things to all sorts of people. So over, over the next few months, we want to open this up, explore it further, deeper. Why? Uh, we want to we understand what the Bible says about Christian community. Why is Christian community so unique, so radical, really, compared to other people's view of uh, community? So that's what we'll be doing over the next few months. Also, last week, Simon um, preached on... Um, a spirit-filled community, uh, why it's important that we are filled with the Spirit, as Vicky brought prophetically this morning. Uh, the Apostle Paul said, make every, every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. You know what? That is key. If you don't get that, you'll feel uncomfortable here. If you get that, you'll come alive here. Very important. This week, however, we're going to be unpacking what it means to be a worshipping community. Uh, and as I, I, as I was thinking about this, it really took me back um, to about 12 years ago now when I started out in Jubilee, just after becoming a Christian on an Alpha course, uh, and how at the start of my Christian walk with God, I was carrying a whole load of baggage, the consequences really of a desperately sinful life, how I was carrying all the emotions and pain of losing my mom from breast cancer at a very early age, of losing my brother aged 28 from suicide. And it made me think, how, how did I get through all that? And the conclusion I came to was worship. Yes, I asked God to help me. Yes, I asked God to make me feel better. Petitionary prayer, um, asking God to move in our circumstances, very important. We must do it. But for me and others I've talked to over the years, uh, the thing that gets you through the trials and troubles of life, probably more than anything else, is worship. And so this morning, what I would like to, all to do together, really, is look at Psalm 95. Because throughout history, probably more than any other passage in the Bible, it's Psalm 95 that has been inspirational to our understanding of Christian worship. This is a classic text, if you like, in the Bible, uh, which tells us nearly everything we need to know about worship. So let's read, shall we, Psalm 95. Come, let us, sing to the, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him, celebrate him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God, the great king above all gods. In his hands are the depths of the earth and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it. And his hands form the dry land. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. For he is our God, and we are his people of his pasture, the flock under his care. Today, if only you would hear his voice. Let's pray. Yeah, Lord, I thank you for this passage. I thank you that you 
are a God who calls us to worship. I thank you, Lord, that you are a God who is worthy of our worship. I thank you, Lord, that you are a God who has given us so much that our hearts can't help but cry out to you in worship. And I pray this morning, as uh, we unpack your word, I pray you do something in us that isn't just uh, an interesting thing, brain thing, knowledge thing, Uh, this morning, but actually I pray, Lord God, that you impact us by your Holy Spirit. You move us by your Holy Spirit. You change us by your Holy Spirit as we study your word. I pray, Lord God, that you make Jesus come alive in our hearts and in in everything we do. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for being with us. So, three things that this passage tells us about worship. One, it tells us what is worship. Uh, Two, it tells us why should we bother worshipping. And three, it says how do we worship? How do we worship well? How do we get skillful at it, it, if you like? So what, what, why, and how of worship? So firstly, what is worship? Now the answer in this this passage is that worship is is the act of ascribing, placing, giving absolute, ultimate value to God, to Jesus, in a way that energizes and brings alive your whole person, your entire being. That's what the Christian understanding of worship is all about. Worship of Jesus engages everything about us, our heads, our minds, our actions, our emotions, everything. Look at what we've just read, verses 1, 6, and 8. These are three calls, aren't they? This verse 1, the psalmist is saying, sing, shout aloud, extol him. That means celebrate and applaud him. This is, what is it? This is emotional language. We're called to worship him with all of our passion and our zeal and our excitement. Then there's verse 6. Come, come, bow down, kneel before the Lord our maker. What's going on here? This is the language of submission isn't it? A determination to honor God with our actions. Come, bow down, kneel. And lastly, verse 8 is the language of reason and thinking things through. Hear his voice. Listen to what he says. Think, understand, make good choices. Christian worship is something that engages everything about us. In fact, Jesus said it again in Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. He said, love the Lord your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. You know what? If Jesus said that, it must be very important. You see, if you go through just a ritual and just do what you think you're meant to do when you're worshipping, an obligation, without experiencing a ravishing sense of beauty and joy and awe in God, you know what? That's not Christian worship. Other faiths or beliefs might think so, but but that is not the biblical view of worship. But you know what? The reverse is true as well. If you go to a meeting and have a great emotional experience, weeping, shaking, falling flat, on the floor, like how we experienced God at the impact weekend, uh, you guys who were there. If that happens without it fundamentally changing the way you live, how you act towards others, how you act towards God, if that doesn't affect your life, your character, you know what? 
That's not a Christian understanding of worship either. Worship is something that affects, engages, changes your entire being, your mind, your actions, and emotions. Do you get that? Really important. But that's not all that's important. There's something else. What is it? That engages your entire being. What is it that causes the psalmist here to submit, to bow down, to kneel, to shout and sing? You almost get the feeling he's jumping up and down, don't you? Probably not like that. What is it? It's this. It is the act of assigning, ascribing, giving ultimate value and worth and honor to God. That's what worship is. Look at the passage again. If you look at uh, all the emotions and the willful acts and the shouting and the bowing and the kneeling and the singing this, uh, that the psalmist is doing, where is it all coming from? What's bringing it on? The psalmist's worship is all stemming from something that he's doing. Look at what he says. Come, let us sing. Let us shout aloud. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. And then it says, verse 3, for because the Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods, in his hands are the depths of the earth. And he starts um, thinking about the excellent, the, the wonders of God. What's he doing? What is it that's firing, fueling his worship? It's the excellencies of God, isn't it? He's making a list in his head. He's thinking through. He's reasoning all the glorious truths about God. And eventually, there's an explosion in his life, an explosion of worship. We see it again in verse 6. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. For, because he's our God, he's personal, he's intimate. We are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. He's our shepherd. The one who looks out for us, protects us, loves us, guides us, corrects us, intercedes for us. Boom! His heart explodes again in worship over the truth, the excellencies of God. Matt Redman, um, another um, songwriter and worship leader, writes this. When we face up to the glory of God, we find ourselves face down in worship. Do you see it? Is that how you worship God? Or are you on some spiritual diet? Is that what's going on in your heart, your head, and your body? Let me help you understand this, because this is really important. Imagine a woman that's inherited a brooch, a piece of jewelry from a grandma. It's a family heirloom, handed down through the generations. And now this woman has it. She doesn't really know what it's worth where it came from. She doesn't know much about it, really, most of the time. She doesn't even know where it is. And one day, her daughter comes around to visit and sees this thing and says, Mom, what's that? And her mom says, oh, yeah, that old thing. It was your, it was your great-grandma's. Don't know much about it, really. And the daughter looks at it and says, hey, look, Mom, I think we should get it valued, get it appraised. The antique roadshow's coming around next week. Why don't we take it along? So they take it with them. And then at the antique roadshow, they hand this thing to the professional jeweler. And he gets his eye thingamajig magnifying glass out. And he starts examining it. He starts studying it. He starts checking it out in detail. The clarity, the cut, how it glitters, how it refracts light, how it shines. 
its size. And he looks at it carefully in detail. He goes over it again and again with this thing that he's got in his eye. And suddenly, after doing this for a few minutes, this thing pops out. He starts hyperventilating. He starts feeling faint. His heart starts racing. He's sweating. He's jumping up and down. I won't do that again. He's excited. Why? What's happened? After studying this thing again and again, he suddenly realizes that this thing he is holding is the most precious thing he has ever seen. A lost, ancient, unique piece of jewelry. Nobody knows how to make this stuff anymore. And you know what? He can't believe it. He can't stop his emotions. Why has he suddenly become excited? Why is he suddenly jumping up for joy? Why is his mind, will, and emotions all suddenly engage? Hear this. Because he realizes the value of what he has in his hands. He realizes that what he has in his hands is more valuable than anything else in his shop. In fact, more valuable than anything else that he's ever had in his shop over the last 30 years. And then when the daughter and the woman come to understand the true value of this thing, they are also astounded, thunderstruck, gobsmacked. They suddenly realize that they have not been living in accordance with the value of what they have. Suddenly, her entire life has changed now that she sees the value of this special, priceless brooch. How are you doing in worship? Is your whole being exploding with love for God? Is your life drenched in worship? Or do you have God the same way that woman had the brooch? Possibly unaffected, lukewarm maybe. Unaware of God's absolute majesty, glory, sovereignty, beauty, day in, day out. You see, worship is to see what God is worth and give him what is worth in such a way that it transforms, galvanizes, electrifies your whole life. That's what worship is. Get it? It's big, isn't it? That's what worship is. So secondly, this psalm tells us why we should worship. Why should we worship? Why is it so important? And the answer to that is because you're already worshiping something. Did you know that? You're already ascribing, giving absolute value to something. Your whole life is already orientated and controlled by something. You see, the world isn't just split, it, split into people who do worship and people who don't worship. If you're not a Christian here this morning or you don't believe in God, you might not agree with that. You might say, hold on, Raj, Raj I'm not religious. I don't worship anything. Wrong. It's not as simple as that. Look at what verse 3 says. It says this, The Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods. Now, what's that about? You could just look at it and think, well, that doesn't really apply to me anymore. That's just a relic of times gone by. You see, primitive people used to worship all sorts of things, the sun, the moon, statues, idols, mythological gods. I don't worship idols. I'm more sophisticated than that. Western society has moved on. We're not like that. Wrong. Verse 3 tells us that at the heart 
of reality is a realization that we are already worshiping something, that we already give ultimate value and worth to something, all the other gods in our lives. And the process of coming to worship the one true God is to recognize that, we're already, that what we are already worshiping is sin and then transfer, transfer that worship to him, the God, the great king above all kings. Soren Kierkegaard writes this, human beings were, not made, were made not only to believe in God in some general way, but to love him supremely, center their lives on him above anything else, and build their very identities on him. Anything other than that is sin. In other words, true worship is not making something happen that isn't happening already. No way. It's not, it's not starting something uh, that isn't happening already. No, true worship, Christian worship, is transferring your heart's desires from created things to the creator of the universe. That's the process of Christian worship. That's what changes, transforms your life. So what are these other gods? They're all over the place. They're the things that are so central and essential to your life that should you lose them, your life would feel hardly worth living anymore. They're the things that have such a controlling position in, that, in your heart that you end up spending most of your passion and energy, your money, your emotional resources, your time on them without even thinking twice about it. It can be your family, your career, your kids making money. It can be achievement, how others think of you. It might be romance, hobbies, approval, comfort, beauty, brains, morality, success. These are the gods of today. And they're good things. But when they become ultimate things, that's the problem. These are the gods we sacrifice our lives, if you like, to every day. These are the things we look to for hope, for meaning, and fulfillment. Tim Keller, a New York pastor, writes this, An idol is whatever you look at and say in your heart of hearts, if I have that, then I'll feel significant and secure. There are many ways to describe that kind of relationship to something, but perhaps the best way to describe it is worship. A lady called Rebecca Pippert, she writes in one of her books, Whatever controls us is our Lord. The person who seeks power is controlled by power. The person who seeks acceptance is controlled by acceptance. We do not control ourselves. We are controlled by the Lord of our lives. <clears throat> the Bible says your ultimate problem is what you worship. You see, only when you see God's love as more valuable and satisfying and beautiful than any other kind of love will you never be freaked out again over relationships. Only when you realize that, that God's honor and your relationship with him is more fulfilling and uplifting than any other honor or pleasure will you not be freaked out by criticism or failing. Only when you realize that God's provision is faithful and reliable will you not be rocked by the financial ups and downs of this world. And if you keep getting freaked out, if you keep finding yourself being rolled around emotionally, if you're constantly struggling with anxiety and fear or nervousness about what people think, nothing less 
than reassigning the ultimate value of your life from where it is to God will heal you and change you and give, bring you security and fulfillment. Jubilee, we're a worshipping people, a worshipping community, a bunch of ragtag nobodies once worshipping anything and everything, totally distracted by life and the passing pleasures of sin who are now totally enjoying God. The one who forgives us when we fail him. The one who satisfies us when we please him. The one who calls, his children, calls us his children. The one who went out of his way to get us by dying on a cross. The one, the, the one God we can really only trust. The only God who will never distort but transform us beyond our wildest dreams. A guy called St. Augustine a long time ago once prayed, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. Jubilee, what's taking away your worship from him? He's saying, come back. He's calling you. So what is worship? Loving Jesus supremely in a way that energizes and brings alive your whole being. Why do we worship? Because we're naturally wired that way. We're already worshipping something. And lastly, how do we worship? How do we, how do we worship well? And in this passage, actually, there are tons of things um, that tell us uh, about, that give us insight into how do we worship. But I'm going to very briefly give you three things. Three things that transform our worship experience. So firstly, community transforms our work, uh, worship experience. In fact, that's the whole point of this talk. In this passage, it actually shouts it out aloud. Can anyone tell me where? Spot on. In fact, it's so obvious that we almost miss it. It's probably the most important thing about this psalm. Averill said, let us. If you look at it, it's all in the plural, yeah? Come, let us sing for joy. Let us come before him. Let us bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God. We are, we are, we are the people of his pasture. The psalmist is calling us to worship in community. Now, of course, our individual one-on-one -on -one times are very important with God, our individual prayer time. Very important. However, over the years, as I've read the Bible and as I've, um, as I've watched God move in people, in churches, in towns, I've come to the conclusion that individual worship is a preparation for corporate worship. Together worship, which I think is actually the most powerful transforming experience. Together that's why the whole of Scripture, as Jesus summarizes it, can be summarized into two lines. Love God, love each other. Very important. A guy called C.S. Lewis, who wrote all the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, of the Narnia books, he explained it this way, and it's really helped me understand the importance of uh, together worship, community, um, the importance of community and worship. And it's, he says that, um, it, it, he talks about it like this, C.S. Lewis, or Jack, as he was called, was part of a small but incredibly intimate trio 
of close friends. There was Jack, C.S. Lewis. There was a guy called Ronald, who some of you know as J.R. Tolkien, the guy who wrote Lord of the Rings. And there was a guy called Charles, Charles Williams, who was a British novelist. So there was Jack, there was Ronald, uh, and Charles. And these guys were buddies. They were the closest of friends. And one day after years of friendship, Charles dies. And when Charles dies, Jack is absolutely devastated. But he also wonders, I guess now my friendship with Ronald will be such that I get more of Ronald than I did before. I won't have to share him with Charles anymore. Our understanding of one another, our friendship, um, will, will, will get even better. But he came to realize he was wrong, and it surprised him. He discovered that there were certain things in Ronald that only Charles brought out. There were certain parts of his heart and personality that only Charles drew out. And so C.S. Lewis, Jack, realized that ironically, paradoxically, surprisingly, that when Charles died, he didn't get more of Ronald. In fact, he got less of Ronald. And this is what suddenly hit him. No one individual can draw out the entire personality. You can only know someone completely well in community. He writes this, In each of my friends there is something that only some other friend can fully bring out. But myself, I am not large enough to call the whole man into activity. I want other lights than my own to show all his facets. Far from having more of Ronald, having him to myself now that Charles is aware, I have less of Ronald. And do you know what? If that's true of human friendships, how much more true will that be of God? You see, Lewis goes on uh, in this book and applies it, the Inklings it's called, he goes on to apply this to our faith. Community exhibits a glorious nearness by resemblance to heaven itself, where the very multitude of the blessed, us, which no man can number, increases the enjoyment which each of us has of God. For every soul, you and me, seeing him in his own way, doubtless communicates that unique vision to all the rest. The more we thus share the heavenly bread, Jesus, between us, the more we shall have. Are you in a worshipping community? Are you in a worshipping community? Are you really in a worshipping community? Or are you just dilly-dallying on the edge? Because if that's you, you're in trouble. That's not how God made you to be, made us to be. When you're not stuck into Christian community and friendship, it puts you in a very vulnerable place. That's when your heart starts going stale. That's when you start complaining and grumbling. It's when frustration sets in. It's when temptation actually sets in. It's when you start getting itchy feet. It's a bit like men and women who go off and have affairs. Jubilee, the Bible says, be alert and of sober mind. That's Bible speak for get real. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Is that you? Second to loving God and growing your relationship with him is doing the same with your brothers and sisters in Christ. All of them, even the ones who get up your nose. Especially the ones who get up your nose. That's how God builds us together. That's how God changes us 
even when we're crying out to God, change them. Christine brought something similar to that one Sunday morning, I think, didn't you? Jubilee. I want to encourage you to be fully part of our community groups. Be fully part of your prayer teams. Make Sunday mornings a priority. Book into North 2012. Sign up for New Day. Come to prayer meetings. Volunteer. Meet up. Look out for each other. Build friendships. Don't just wait for others to invite you. Invite them again and again. Get stuck into the community of God. Because community is so important. So worship and community, that helps us get, um, um, get better at worship, if you like. Worship, the second thing is worship in truth. We've already touched on this a bit at the start of this talk. How does the psalmist know that uh, he is the great God above all gods? How does he know that in his hands are the depths of the earth? And so on. How does he know that he's a shepherd? How does he know, that all, how does he know all these things? Does he just say, like sometimes we often do, well, I just like to think God is my shepherd. Is that what he does? No, the psalmist has submitted to what the prophets have said about him. The psalmist is actually quoting stuff from the past handed down through generations. He's submitting to Scripture, the Bible, as the self-revelation of of God. And that's how it should be. Many people today are not happy with this. The average teesider loves the idea of community. Some even like the idea of spiritual things. But more often than not, the third thing they want is almost to design their own religion and view of God. A view of God that suits them, that fits in with them, that agrees with them, that allows them to live life as they want. In fact, that was me 12 years ago before I became a Christian. I don't like that bit of the Bible. I don't like that bit of the Bible. But I like that bit, and I like that bit, and I'll stick a bit of Hinduism here, a bit of Buddhism there, maybe a bit of secular thinking, a bit of feminism. Hey, presto. This is what I want to believe. We as Christians often do the same, don't we? I like to think of my Jesus like this. It's a free country, go ahead. But let me suggest to you, it'll have two results. Firstly, you'll not be worshipping a living God. If you design a God that fits you, and you throw out centuries of Christian truth that you don't like, then you have a God that can't fight you. You have a God that can't challenge you can never disagree with you, can never outrage you. You'll never have a life-changing, transforming worship relationship with him. Secondly, without submitting to truth, you actually cut yourself off from community. If you create your own personal understanding of God that's unique to you, you've actually isolated yourself. Because I submit to the whole of the Bible, even the parts I don't like and the parts I don't understand, when I meet, or if I were to meet, a Nigerian 80-year-old Christian woman who's lived all of her life in the bush, gender different from me, race different from me, culturally, educationally different, age different from me, barriers and differences between us like you could not imagine. If we just get talking for a short time about Jesus, if we get talking about, the, um, about what we believe in the Bible, do you know what? It'll be the same Jesus. It'll be the same stuff. And you know what? We'll feel a bond, a mutual respect for one another like nothing else. Why? Because we are linked by the same body of truth, biblical truth, handed down over centuries. God-breathed truth that has stood the test of time. 
truth is essential for a transforming worship experience. So you need community, you need truth, and to end, finally, you need the Holy Spirit. Now, for the clever ones among you, you might be thinking, hold on, the word spirit doesn't even show up in this passage. Correct, it doesn't. But when you look closer, God, the Holy Spirit, is all over this passage. This passage tells us that the purpose of worship is to come into his presence, to come before him. How can that happen? In the Old Testament, the temple was the place of worship. The temple was the place of, uh, where people understood the presence of God to be, and it was only the high priest who could come into the presence of God, the holy of holies, the dwelling place of God, the meeting place of God. No one else was allowed. It was only through the high priest that you could experience something of the presence of God, if you like. But that's all changed. That's all different now, now that we are on, on the other side of the resurrection. Jesus has changed all of that. You see, Jesus lived the perfect life. He suffered the perfect death on your behalf. He took everything that we deserved for our sin, our me, me, self-absorbed lives, our lives not devoted to him. He pulled these, the wall that was growing higher and higher, separating us from God's riches and love towards us. He went out of his way to bring us back home into his presence. Do you see that? It says in Hebrews 4.14, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. Let us then approach God's throne with grace and with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Because of Jesus' death and resurrection, you know what? We, have, we now have access to the Holy of Holies. We have an eternal ticket to approach the throne of grace. We have forever intimacy with him, Jesus. And you know what? It is God, the Holy Spirit, that brings that alive in our hearts. It's God, the Holy Spirit, that makes that real for us. It's God, the Holy Spirit, that moves that from just being uh, in-your-head knowledge thing to a soul-transforming reality. Do you really understand the importance of being filled with God, the Holy Spirit? Do you ask him to fill you every, every single day? Do you take every opportunity to receive the Spirit of God? Jesus said... In John 42, 4.23, a time has now come when true worshippers, obviously assuming that there's false worshippers, a time has now come when true worshippers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. Jesus said in John 15.26, when the Holy Spirit comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. Jesus. Jubilee, uh, we as elders, uh, as leaders in your community group, those who kind of look after you pastorally, if you like, nothing pleases us more 
than when your lives come alive in worship for Jesus. When truth and spirit come together and display their fruit in everything you do, you say, and you feel. We pray regularly for God to move in you and through you more and more every day. Is that your prayer too? I'm going to end and we're going to worship. Funny that, isn't it? I'm going to end with what the Apostle Paul wrote um, in Romans 12.1. And I'd, as I read this out, I, want to t- I, want, I, would, I would like to, for you to take this in. Grip onto this verse for the rest of the week. Ruminate over it. Meditate over it. Pray about it. The Apostle Paul says to the Roman church, I believe God's saying this to us, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Jubilee, let's continue to be a worshipping community. Let's be a community that is enthralled by the beauty of Jesus. Let's be a community who loves each other. Let's be a community who are transformed and changed by each other as we do day-to-day things, as we speak to one another, as we have each other around for tea, as we go to all these different things together. Let's stand, shall we? I'm going to pray, and we're going to worship more. Um, I think our response to this can only be worship. We're also going to take the collection, so um, as, we, as, as the guys come up and lead us in worship, the buckets can go around, that would be great. Um, but I'm just going to pray over us. Thank you, Lord Jesus. You are an